Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. We are in the book of Deuteronomy. That's the fifth book in the Bible, Old Testament. And we're up to chapter four. So let's begin with verse one. Now, is now always for listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you. So that's it's Moses speaking here, talking to the congregation about to give them commandments for what it is they need to follow while they're um, as they approach the so-called promised land. Verse two, you shall not add to the word which I command you nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. So that's pretty clear. He's making it clear that the things that are said here are the things that's supposed to stick with and don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. He, I think he's saying that, Moses, because we've seen that that's exactly what's happened to this, far, to this point, or heretofore. That Moses came down the mountain after going up there twice and getting getting the Ten Commandments twice written in stone. Just ten words, those ten commandments, and yet now there's all sorts of ordinances and statutes and rules and regulations that are laid out from what color your clothes should be to how your beard should be shaved to what you should be doing sexually. All things that weren't given on the mountain at the ten, time of the ten commandments added to it later, it seems, and things taken away from it most likely also. That's why Moses, I think, is saying, don't do that with this. Verse 3, your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who follow Baal of Peor. So a couple of things there. Baal, it seems, when you get, it, Baal translates to the word master, if I remember right, sort of, so you could think of it as like a ruler, governor, king, um, like that, the area, uh, um, the ruler of that area. Um, but it turns into something else as you go throughout the Bible when you think of like Beelzebub, where it's talking about an actual demon that's sort of the master of another, the underworld or something like uh, along those lines. But that's what the word B-A-A-L um, means. But it also seems to keep pointing to also a specific deity named Baal that, um, that people seem to worship. Verse 4. Oh, and so that, that was the problem. That's what Moses is reflecting back on when the people were, I think the woman's name was Cosby, one of the children of Israel, one of the congregation was involved with a woman, a foreigner woman as they call them, and they put it on the woman for distract, for uh, seducing the guy away from their faith, and so then she was killed and so was the guy. And it was all considered a righteous kill, according to the narrative there, even though the same people were told, thou shalt not kill. And we've seen again and again where if, if the Lord chooses to, the Lord can lash out at any time and zap people, strike them down, have the earth swallow them up. And yet, still again and again, seems to be telling the people that it's for them to take out that vengeance, to take out that um, bloodthirst for the Lord. Um, so it's kind of a mixed message, but we're just reading it out. I read. So let's keep reading. Verse four. But you who held but you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. So he brought up the fact that those ones who are unfaithful died with that whole um a bail of pure incident and now he's uh, he's commending the ones who stayed faithful through those times because it wasn't just one or two people who were who were uh, who Mm, who went that way, who um, chose to follow that 
community's uh, religion. Verse 5, Surely I've taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. So here's what I was talking about with the Ten Commandments were one thing, and now there were statutes and judgments that followed after those Ten Commandments. And Moses is putting it on the Lord who uh, told him to uh, came up with those statutes and judgments. Although, uh, why weren't they given during the 40 days up on the mountain with the Ten Commandments? Then if that's the case, why drip, drip, drip them out later at another time and add all this other um, intrigue around it? Instead of just doing it all at once and making it clear from there. When it seems to me that would just open, when by not doing that, it opens the door for uh, what's happened with the people to not be faithful to it, to not know or be able to trust what's actually from there, the one leading them, the Lord, and what's being cooked up by men. And we know some of it is cooked up by men because Jesus, we Christians know, because Jesus tells us that all the things in the Old Testament, and I'm paraphrasing there because they weren't calling it the Old Testament, but all the things that are written in the scriptures were not, uh, as far as the five books of Moses, were not from Moses at all, but from the forefathers. So, I think that again is what Moses is pointing to. Don't do that. Don't add your own stuff to what he's being directed to say uh, from God. At least that's the way it seems to read to me. Verse 6, therefore be careful to observe them for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So he's saying by being faithful to the commandments that he's giving them that the whole world will recognize that they as a people are being wise and led by God with the um, in their keeping the commandments that they're given. Verse 7, for what? great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him so a couple of things there we've seen the name the word Lord being translated from different things again and again and especially in the recent chapter we saw it went from Jehovah to El um, and Elohim um, talking about God and the Lord and we've seen the Lord be all uppercase and um and appear different ways also so it lets us know i mean it signifies to me at least that different people are worshiping different people or entities as their law as their lord and calling different entities their god and there's nothing new about that and people still do that in modern times with different religions but he's saying if people are faithful to the commandments, then the whole world will say, well, God must be close to them. Look how wise and, and uh, blessed they are. Verse 8, and what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law, which I set before you this day. So it's Moses is saying how righteous the judgments are that he's passing out to the people, the statutes and ordinances. But historically, we know this was not... Um, the first set of rules uh, given by um, the first set of like moral rules and standards of, of things that people should be doing. These seem a, a very closely based on something that preceded them, Hammurabi's code, which was has been found, you know, in history, not in the Bible. That talks about some of these same principles about thou shalt not, those sort of things. So in that sense, it's not really original on Moses' part. And I'm sure every area had their rules and regulations, even if they weren't 
uh, written in stone like the Ten Commandments were. But Moses is saying for uh, their part, theirs are written in stone and theirs are rock solid. Verse 9, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. So that's the part about the statutes and ordinances, the commandments being perpetual, meaning they were ordered to do them back then, and that means they're supposed to still be doing them now. Um, and yet, you see they're not, whether it be the animal sacrifices or uh, uh, the blood ceremonies of sprinkling blood on the altars and all that sort of stuff. The clothing that you're supposed to wear or not wear. All of those different things that seem kind of petty. Um, but they are still, many of them, forever statutes, perpetual judgments and orders that were given back then, thousands and thousands of years ago. And if you're faithful, a Bible thumper that believes Genesis to Revelation is what you're supposed to be living by, then you should be living by those things because it's laid out here. And Moses is saying here, tell it to your children and your grandchildren. Verse 10, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words. Then they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. So Horeb, I believe, is where, um, well, we know it's where the people were complaining or kind of, um, doubtful or wondering what's going on and so the um they were commanded to cleanse themselves and get ready because the lord was going to appear to them but to stay back don't get close to the mountain stay away from it or they'll basically get zapped and stricken down if they do so let's us know again when god wants to god's able to strike people down so what need is there for a death penalty just like genesis the first uh book in the bible says about cain um, the death penalty is not something people are supposed to be carrying out, and yet you see the contradictive, the contradictory message given again and again and again, especially now that the people have, have been um, formed and um, declared an army with uh, marching orders uh, as, how, as, far, as far as their movement. So you know that that's not the case anymore. Now them killing and even worse, other stuff as bad as killing, according to the Bible, things like rape are going to be codified and the, the terms of how and when it's appropriate to what they call humble your rape victim who may be just a prisoner of war um, turned into rape victim by the people who uh, conquered them. And it's all codified in the Bible and yet none of that sounds like loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, yeah, it's how I read, so let's keep reading. Verse 11, Then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven, with darkness, cloud, and thick darkness. So in that moment when they got that appearance from the quote-unquote Lord, and I'm just going to say Lord from here on for the rest of the reading, since that's how it reads, whether I believe that's the Lord God Almighty or not, and you may not believe it's the Lord God Almighty if you read on in the other parts of the Bible where it says no one has seen God at any time. And yet, you see here, the people are saying they got an appearance from God. Uh, or the Lord, I should say. Verse 12, And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound 
of the words but saw no form you only heard a voice so about not seeing god like i was just saying no one seen god at any time well now it's saying okay y'all didn't see him um you didn't even see his form but that contradicts what what we read earlier about moses seeing god it said even face to face he talks with moses unlike anyone else it even said and we saw how abraham sat down and ate with the lord we saw how another person wrestled with the lord uh, I think that was Jacob. So physically wrestle with the Lord. So how does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. It's contradictory. So they all can't possibly be true unless you start using qualifiers like this where they saw the Lord, but they didn't actually see his form. They just heard a voice. And then that contradicts what the New Testament says also. You've never heard his voice at any, haven't heard his voice or seen his form. So maybe it was a loudspeaker or some sort of angel speaking. Um, that the Lord used as the mouthpiece, sort of like when it says the Lord uses Mo used Moses and Aaron as the mouthpiece to the people. Although even with Moses and Aaron, you saw different times where they'd hear a voice coming from heaven that was accredited to attributed to the Lord. So it really just doesn't make sense. It contradicts. And as a Christian, I tend to lean toward what Jesus says. Then, if it's if if you have to if for me, if it's some the Bible if some part of the Bible says one thing and Jesus says another, then I defer to Jesus. That's just what I choose to do as a Christian since Jesus was the Christ, is the Christ. Why would you let someone else else's command beat his? But that's just, you know, to choose what you believe what you want to believe. Verse thirteen. So he declared to you his covenant which he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. Okay, so I didn't realize that was going to be mentioned here, but that's what I was talking about earlier. The ten words, as they were called in when we read them, I think it's Exodus. Now they're being called officially the Ten Commandments. And Moses is making it clear here. The, the words were declared right then at that mountaintop, and it was just those ten, those ten commandments, not all those other ordinances and statutes but i imagine we're going to read how those come in next um but originally it was just those two those two tablets with the ten commandments religion stepped in after that verse 14 and the lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess so uh, now that's where the statutes and judgments and things come in after the ten commandments were given but does that really make sense you were up there he was up there for 40 days and it says that it's the lord who wrote it so would it take the lord 40 days to write down the statutes wouldn't the lord be able to fit those statutes and judgments on those same two st stone tablets not like a person wouldn't be able to do it because how are you really going to chisel 40 commandments on two tablets small enough for a human to an old man at that moses to be able to carry them up and down a mountain it just doesn't seem realistic but it's how it reads again we're just going to read it verse 15 take careful heed to yourselves for you saw no form when the lord spoke to you at horeb out of the midst of the fire so he's reiterating that they didn't actually see the lord when they um got the appearance from the lord even though i don't recall that being actually how it read um it's not like they gave a physical description of the lord but I know that we saw where uh, Moses encountered the Lord and where Abraham did, where Jacob did, um, at least according to the narrative. But 
we're going to stick with Moses for right now. He's saying that the people didn't see God. They didn't see the Lord when they got that appearance. Uh, but that message. Um, uh, but he's saying it was still the Lord. Let's see. Um, and speaking out of the midst of the, midst of the fire. So uh, the Lord would travel with them in a pillar of cloud by day. Sort of to keep the sun from roasting them in the wilderness. And a pillar of fire by night to guide them and give them light at night in case they needed to travel. So for the times also when they would need to travel at night. And whenever it would move, they would move is the way the narrative went. Um, so um, now they would hear voices out of the midst of that fire. Uh, it seems to be part of the narrative. But we also know that same those voices would come from the 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 seat the mercy seat also from within the tabernacle and then sometimes it wouldn't come from there at all sometimes the voice would just happen and then sometimes there would be an appearance over the tabernacle so it seems like many different ways those um the appearances would happen or um but let's just keep reading verse 16 lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure the likeness of male or female so that's the idolatry. That's the making idols for yourself. That's that's what the carved images are. And you can think of those as any carved image. And it says male or female. But those carved images can come in all sorts of ways. You could think of um, uh, totem poles for like the Native American people would use. Or you could think of, um, uh, what's the word? Obelisks? Those... Um, Monuments like the like societies use now, like the Washington Monument, those are actually um, idols because people worship them, consider them sacred and holy, and all of that stuff. Even though they're just man-made things of rock, and yet people worship that and they they treat that as sacrosanct. Like you can't possibly even say anything bad about those things. Um, yet it's all just idols. It's all idolatry. Verse 17, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air. So it's making it clear here, no matter what the idol is that you create, whether it's a, a, an idol that looks like a man or looks like a woman. And you see like anthropo uh, I'm sorry, um, archaeology has revealed all sorts of little statues that look like a little fat woman, like usually a little fat naked woman. And it'll be like a mother goddess or something like that. Or it'll be uh, deformed looking animals or, you know, um, hybrid looking creatures um, that people have as little statues. And they're all over the world, not just one part of the world. So uh, that's what I think Moses is talking about, making those sort of statues and mud and um, and um, articles of worship idols are forbidden. Verse 18, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. So everything, anything being created as an object of worship, an idol, is forbidden. Verse 19, and take heed lest you lift your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. So he's saying don't even worship the celestial bodies. Don't become a sun worshiper or a moon worshiper or a star worshiper or any of those things. But, I mean, if you extrapolate that a little further, that could also actually include things like um, um, astrology and horoscopes where you're using those stars and 
signs and things to um as your um lord or your god or your your um religion uh, but that's a fine line also because the bible itself genesis chapter one or even two i think it was probably one says that that's what the the, the um celestial bodies are for for times and seasons and wonders and um our times and seasons and um times and seasons for sure i know that those two for sure but that those that's what they're there for not to be worshipped but to be uh um recognized and used sort of as a meter or a map but not as an article of worship um verse 20 but the lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of egypt to be his people and inheritance as you are this day so i'm not sure why it's called an iron furnace egypt that is um unless maybe this was the, an iron age that might have happened this might be the iron age because you know like there was a bronze age a stone age um now there's like the i guess this is the technological age now but um so maybe it was the iron age back then what they were why it's being called the iron furnace um but what he's referring to though is the time when they were in egypt and, and at least for part of that time those four centuries enslaved people they weren't free that whole time and so he's reflecting back on that and saying that that's why the Lord rescued them, emancipated them from slavery so that they would be the special people to the Lord. Uh, verse 21, furthermore, the Lord was angry with, furthermore, the Lord was angry for your sakes and swore would not cross over the Jordan and that would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So if you've read with me before, you obviously you probably can see why I skipped a couple of words, didn't change them, because don't I have to, I have to be careful not to do that. That's not what you should do. But skipping over them should be okay. And if you read it as it's written out loud, you could see why you might want to skip over it too. But if you read it on as it is, just read it as it is. I've read it as it is to myself, and he's referring to Moses. That is referring to. When the Lord got testy with Moses, not testy, angry, and um, even barred Moses, the one who was chosen to lead the people through the wilderness, through the emancipation to the promised land, uh, even he, over one, it seems like slight move, false move, um, was barred from entering the promised land also. So uh, it seems here Moses is putting that on the people, saying that he was ang the Lord was angry with them. And that that's the reason that Moses was barred from entering the promised land. But that's not really the way it happened, at least according to the narrative. Moses, um, the Lord wasn't angry with the people and barred Moses. The Lord was angry with Moses and barred Moses. Um, not to mention Aaron and Miriam. They uh, ran into trouble for being racist, at least what reads as racist. And then also um, Aaron got barred from the, the um, promised land also. And now Moses, um, also barred from the promised land, even though all of these burdens of leading the people, which he didn't ask for, was put on his shoulders and uh, given to him. Let's see. Oh, there it is. Okay. Uh, verse 22. But I must, and this land, I must not cross the Jordan, 
but you shall cross over and possess that good land. So again, you can see why I skipped over that word. He's saying he must die there in that land. He's been given a death sentence also that he's not going to make it to the promised land. He's And neither did Aaron or his sister, their sister, Miriam. And he knows that he's going to face the same end that they did as far as not making it into the promised land. Um, let's see. And he knows it. And he's letting the people know that it's a good land they're headed to. And he's not going to make it there. Verse 23. Take heed to yourselves lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God. Which he made with you. And make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. So he's saying don't forget. You've been ordered not to make uh, idols for yourself. Don't start worshipping other things. Don't start worshiping anything else other than the Lord. Verse 24, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Um, I think this is the first time in our reading so far in the Bible that um, the Lord is being referred to as a consuming fire, which sounds a lot like hell. It almost sounds like, um, it sounds like a description of hell, but it's um that's one of the ways that uh, Moses is describing the Lord as being a consuming fire I guess meaning uh, figuratively that um what can stand up the fire there's very few things that could stand up to fire other than more fire um but I imagine you know chemically physically there must be some things that could stand up the fire but not a whole lot of things um but he's saying that that's um, and that, that the Lord is jealous, I think, is the main point of it. That the Lord is jealous, doesn't want you giving that attention, that reference to anything or anyone else. And if you do, the Lord has power to burn you alive. Just like he, we've seen people, like I said, get zapped for saying the wrong thing, for doing the wrong thing, even when they're trying to do the right thing. We've seen people get zapped and the earth swallow them up. Verse 25, when you beget children and grandchildren... And have grown old in the land, and act corruptly, and make a carved image in the form of anything, and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger. So this sounds like a prophecy that Moses is giving. He's not saying if you beget children and grandchildren. He's saying when you do. So as letting you know, okay, well, okay, he knows they're gonna have more kids. That's a pretty safe prophecy. He got a whole bunch of people. They're probably gonna have some kids. But the next part of the prophecy was and act corruptly so that's letting them know that that's what they're going to do just like they're going to have kids and expand their families they're also going to act corruptly and going to make themselves those same idols they were just warned not to make and he's telling them it's going to be considered evil in the sight of the lord and that it's going to provoke the lord to that same it's anger it's the similar anger to the same anger that they got before when they got the death penalties the massacres zapped the earth swallowing up or in the case of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam barred from entering the promised land verse 26 I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over to Jordan to possess you will not prolong your days in it you will be utterly destroyed so this is another prophecy prophecy that Moses is giving them that if they're unfaithful not even if when they are unfaithful that they will be destroyed from the land and perish from it. And that prophecy also came true, where it didn't take long. Moses passed away, 
or died or however you want to think of it. Moses is go- when Moses was gone, the following generations, I think it was after it didn't take long. The people started falling away, falling away from being faithful pretty quickly. And um, so did the uh, possession of the area that they went in to possess, the promised land. It began falling away. Beginning, I think, if I remember right, with the people who began to break the covenant first. The two and a half tribes that didn't cross over to Jordan in the first place like they were commanded to. Who instead decided, oh, we'll stay on this side and cooked it up with Moses and did it without consulting the Lord. And just like that, uh, they fell away. And it continues to that way to this day. And whether it's because of the people are considered unfaithful to their religion or their faith, I don't know. I'm just going by what Moses says. Moses says it's the unfaithfulness. It's that uh, uh, idolatry that causes the people to lose that land. So could that be the reason that the land is so disputed now and has been for so long? uh, Decades, centuries, millennia? Is that the reason? Maybe because the people who went in to possess it, the colonizers who went in to possess it originally, weren't faithful to the one, the entity that led them there to colonize it. And they were told here before they even got there that when they do do that, they're going to lose. And yet, well, then why would the Lord lead them all the way there in the first place? If the Lord knows the end from the beginning that they aren't going to be faithful, that they are going to fall away, that they are going to lose the land, that they aren't going to, they are going to create idols, they are going to be destroyed. Why would the Lord do it in the first place then? If the Lord sees that path already laid out for them and knows that that's the path they're going to take, I think as a Christian, that's where the Christianity comes in. It was all done so that through them, through this line of people, this congregation of people, that's where Christ would come. That's what the scriptures, why the scriptures pointed to it, the coming of Christ, Messiah, Jesus as we call him, that that's what the purpose was, to show that the people who the promise was given to, that the Savior would arise through, um, arrive through, was no more uh, faithful or different than anyone else. And the, at the end of the day, they still came up with idols. They still um, got blessed. They still got cursed. They still faced the wrath. They still faced the blessings, just like pretty much everyone else. Like the like Jesus says, the Lord makes the sun shine on the just and on the unjust. He sends or sends rain on the just and the unjust, and um, so that in that sense, we're sh- we're shown that the congregation are just human. They're only people, just like we are. They're no worse, no more wicked, no more righteous than anyone else. But they're only, they are specifically singled out because it was through them that Christ was to come. And that was the purpose, the significance of them being um, set apart or sanctified um, apart from uh, all the rest of the nations, I think. Verse 27, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you'll be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. So he's saying, as a result of your unfaithfulness, because again, it's when, not if. He's saying, as a result of your unfaithfulness, you'll be scattered. You'll be, though, you'll be a, become a diaspora, where you're not centrally located in what we call the Holy Land anymore. You'll be spread out, taken captive by this country and that country. You'll travel to this place and that place. You're not going to be living there in that Holy Land anymore. You're going to be living wherever you can survive with your life given you as a prize in all places wherever you go as it says in Jeremiah um, 
to the faithful, that is. Um, but as for the diaspora, that prophecy also came true. And this one, verse 27, also came true. They were scattered abroad um, by Assyria, by Babylon in ancient times. And in more modern times, you don't have to look far to see what's been happening there in the last seven, eight decades or so since Israel was declared a nation again in more recent modern times. That the, the different um, disruptions and wars and troubles that have been since that's happened, I think that was like 1948, something like that, right around the end of the Second World War. Um Let's see, verse 28. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's, men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. So he's saying, well, for being unfaithful to what they are calling the real God, for being unfaithful to the Lord God, um, what they'll get is a whole life devoted to their fake gods, their false gods, their idols. Though Since they chose to um, uh, worship and pursue wood and stone, or in modern terms, gold and silver, or Bitcoin, or, or crypto, I should say, um, or riches, I should say. If you choose to pursue that as your God, that's fine. Go ahead, let that be your God. But don't be surprised when the true prize is taken from you, and then you end up having to be a slave to those other fake gods, or false gods, I should say. In the case of the ancient times, it was the idols that the people served in those other areas um uh, wood and stone like i said totem poles or statues or uh uh whatever the case may be a pyramid a, a, a tall stone an obelisk whatever the case may be uh you'll be forced to worship that then because you chose that more or over choosing to worship the true god it seems to be to be the message of what moses is telling them warning them and foretelling them verse 29 but from there you will seek the lord your god and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul so he's saying so even for all that unfaithfulness and the 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 punishment that the people will get for being unfaithful if they have a change of heart and decide to turn and seek the lord in faithfulness then the lord will be found and um but it has to be in truth. It has to be in faithfulness, not in pretense, not in Bible thumping, not in hypocrisy. It has to be real. Like Jesus says, in spirit and truth, God is seeking such to worship him. Verse 30, when you're in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice. So Moses let him know. That those things are headed their way. The, for their unfaithfulness, they're going to be in distress. And all sorts of evil are going to, is going to, all sorts of evil are going to befall them um, in the times to come because of that unfaithfulness for turning away from the Lord. Verse 31, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. So, it doesn't sound all that merciful, um, but he's saying uh, if you're faithful and obey the voice, the words that um, Moses is uh, laying out from the orders, the Ten Commandments, the message, if they're faithful, then the Lord will be faithful to them and won't forsake them, won't destroy them, and will keep the covenant that was sworn to them and their fathers. 
Verse 32, for ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing like this has happened, or anything like it has been heard. So Moses is saying, look around and see, has anyone else been guided the way they have with signs and wonders and miracles to deliver them from enslavement? And from one country to another, guiding them through um, a wilderness with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire and all those different signs, not to mention the manna and all of that stuff. He's saying, Have, has anyone else experienced those sort of wonders? Verse 33, did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and lived? So now he's saying also with hearing God's voice, have any of them, has anyone else experienced that kind of closeness with God like their congregation has? Verse 34, or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. So again, he's saying, has anyone else, any other nation, any other people been delivered the way they were with the signs, the wonders, the parting of the Red Sea, the plagues and the locusts, the frogs and the Passover? No one. Verse 35, to you it, is, it was shown that you might know the, that the Lord himself is God. There's none other besides him. So just out of curiosity's sake, let's see how those are translated. Um, he's saying all these things are happening so that they'll know that the Lord and Lord here is being translated from the word Jehovah and he's saying is God that's Elohim and there's none other besides him so um, Moses is saying all these things are happening basically to affirm their faith so that they'll know that um, the God they're serving is the real God the true God now, whether I believe that or not, whether you believe that or not, believe what you want to believe. It just seems to me, if it is the Lord God Almighty that's been dealing with them from Genesis to Deuteronomy, and that's just this far, the Lord is very, very inconsistent if that is truly the Lord God. I don't necessarily believe that's the Lord God Almighty. I'm not saying I don't believe that they didn't receive these messages or that it didn't happen or any of that. Just saying, I don't necessarily believe this is the Lord God Almighty, partially because it contradicts, again, what the New Testament says, what Jesus says. Um, but believe what you want. Um, but here he's saying, um, let's see. Um, um, did we just read 39? Let me just read it again, just in case, because I'm not sure. Uh, Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart. That the Lord himself is God in heaven. No, we didn't read that. Okay, so did we read 38? Did I skip one? Oh, I did. Oh, I skipped a couple. I'm sorry. I keep forgetting when you use the tools on this site that it jumps the page. So let me scroll real quick. Let's see if we can find where we left off. It's merciful. Okay, um, take the nation. Okay, so thirty-five. To you, it is, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord God, that the Lord Himself is God. There's none other besides Him. So again, it's to affirm their faith. Verse thirty-six. Out of heaven, He let you hear His voice, that He might instruct you on earth. He showed you 
his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire so Moses is saying here that they didn't actually see the Lord uh, even though again that's not really how I read before that Moses at least saw the Lord or uh, even though he didn't see the Lord's face it says that he saw the Lord's form and we know outright other forefathers said they sat down and ate with the Lord and wrestled with the Lord so um Again, make sense of it how best you can, just reading it. So he's saying here that um, they were privy to all those different signs. Verse 37, and because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power. So he's saying they're the chosen people. And like I said, I believe that that's because that's the congregation of people that Jesus was to come through. And that's what makes them the chosen people. Um, and that that was most likely I would guess the reason for all these the ordinances and statutes and law being maintained for as long as they were it was so that I think a certain order could be maintained up until the time that Jesus comes so that certain facts and events would be uncontrovertible that they wouldn't be able to say oh well the people were actually doing this or they actually doing that no they were actually faithful to those different Things up until that time, I believe, is the point. So then, then after that, when the things did start to come apart and fall apart, like Jesus said around 70 AD, um, that the, all the events before then were already sort of set in stone. Then, so that from then on, whatever comes after that, people believe what they want to believe. They'll believe whatever they want to believe before then, also. But at least the events leading up to the time of Christ will be sort of solidified. Verse 37, and because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. So that's that whole same manifest destiny um, mentality rationale that the colonizer you, colonizers use when they uh, uh uh, colonized the Americas um, saying that oh it's the Lord's giving us the, the right to take this land and steal it from you to take what's yours as our own it's God given rights that sort of stuff that's not anything God's giving at all God tells you don't steal God tells you don't kill and yet that's exactly how the lands were conquered by stealing them and killing killing people and stealing their land and um, it happened back then and it's happened in modern times um, let's see, 39. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord Himself is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There's no other. So Moses is letting them know don't be unfaithful, don't follow other, uh, uh, other religions. Stay faithful to the one that's shown itself, Himself, God's self to be the true God. Stay faithful to that. The one who's been your help, been your deliverance. Stay faithful to that. Don't fall away into idolatry. It is, seems to be what Moses is letting the people know they should stick with and not fall away from. Let's see. Verse 40. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you to today. That it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land 
which the Lord your God has given you for all time. So Moses is saying, stay faithful to the covenants and the, uh, the Lord of the covenant will stay faithful to them. But he's already let them know when they fall away that they're not going to stay faithful to it at all. They're going to fall away and that that's what lies ahead for them. Um, but he's still warning them not to and telling them that if they are, if they do stay faithful, it'll prolong their days rather than shorten them. Verse 41, then Moses set apart three cities on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun. So that means the east side of the Jordan River, not the west side where we modern in modern day uh, Palestine slash Israel slash the Holy Land or way back then called Canaan. But instead, the opposite side, the east side of the Jordan River in modern day uh, Jordan and other areas of the world. You know, I should look that up sometime because I know Jordan is part of that area. I can never think of the area north and south of it, what those are called in modern times. But that's what it's talking about, those countries on the east side of the Jordan. Verse 42, that the manslayer might flee there who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hatred, without having hated him in time past. And that by fleeing to one of these cities, he might live. So those are those cities of refuge the um, uh, where people who have been who have committed manslaughter that's like if say self-defense or an accidental killing that um i guess self-defense actually wouldn't even fall into that category but like it says an accidental killing like if you're a car accident for instance or uh or something like that some accidental way you take someone else's life it won't be so that it won't be considered murder you uh still get punished you have to go to one of those cities of refuge as they call it so that no one can take um, vengeance on you for the life that you took. Um, now we read about that a few chapters back. Verse uh, 4. Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau for the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan and Bashan for the Manasites. So those are the two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan. And those are the three cities that Moses is letting them know are going to be the cities of refuge for the manslayer. It sounds a whole lot like it'd probably be a pretty rough area if you're sending nothing but people who have killed people there. Even if it's unintentional, it's a, it sounds like it's going to be a high population of people, of killers in those areas. But uh, it sounds a lot like a prison, a prison complex just being assigned to those different areas. But I could be wrong. So let's keep reading. Verse 44. Now, this is the law which Moses set before the children of Israel. So, um, it's reiterating that that's the the message that Moses is passing on to the people from the Lord. Verse 45, these are the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which Moses spoke to the children of Israel after they came out of Egypt. So, um, those are the commandments. Mo Moses is laying it out to them. They've been emancipated from slavery from Egypt in Africa and now they're just about to the promised land and he's letting them know these are the things you need to observe verse 46 on this side of the Jordan in the valley opposite Beth Peor in the land of Sihon king of the Amorites who dwell at Heshbon whom Moses and the children of Israel defeated after they came out of Egypt so you're letting us know the area that they're in again east of the Jordan River um, and also mentioning some of the other nations that they um, defeated and colonized that were there before them. The kings also who were of those nations. 
Verse 47, And they took possession of his land, and the land of Og, king of Bashan, two kings of the Amorites, who were on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun. So again, another kingdom and king that they overtook and their land. Verse 48, From Aurora, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, even to Mount Sirion, that is Hermon. So it's laying out the borders there for the area that they've conquered and occupied or colonized in modern terms. Verse 49, And all the plain on the east side of the Jordan as far as the Sea of the Arabah below the slopes of Pisgah. So um, it's saying as far as the Arabian Sea that that whole area is the area being discussed and marked out as the area that they're to uh, inhabit on the east side of the Jordan River. So it gives you, if you have an Old Testament map or even a modern map, you can, I would say an Old Testament map so you can see these areas. You can get an idea of the boundaries and area that they're occupying and colonizing at this point in the narrative and at this point in the narrative is where we end it because that's the end of the chapter as always thanks for joining me god bless you for joining me i appreciate you joining me and hope you'll join me again stay safe and love your neighbor as yourself isn't that the command i'll see you next time god bless you peace be with you i love you